What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain this podcast is brought to you by on it Honestly, I don't know what I would do without these tools for human optimization. What is human optimization? It's getting your body and mind into a state that's going to allow you to experience life to the absolute fullest. Really, the body is the base level of that pyramid. You got to take care of the body's needs. And we have all kinds of tools like the emulsified MCT oils, the supplements, the workout equipment, the information at the Onnit Academy to make sure that you're able to thrive so that you can live the best life possible. Go to onnit.com slash Aubrey. Check out the tools. You get 10% off when you go to that page and it supports the podcast. So please check it out, onnit.com slash Aubrey and enjoy the show. Brian Callen is a man that needs no introduction. Host on Fighter and the Kid, actor in things you probably haven't seen, hilarious comedian, good friend. This is a really fun podcast. I hope you guys enjoy it. And if you're able to, please leave a review on iTunes. It helps the podcast, and I'm super grateful. Enjoy it. What's up, Brian? Aubrey Marcus, uh, I'll tell you what's up. I come to your kingdom, your fiefdom, and uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful place. Thanks, and sir. I, I worked out yesterday. My body feels alive, uh-huh. stimulated. And then I said I wanted a coffee, and I was hemming and hawing about what kind of coffee, and you said, let me take care of it for you. <laughs> Very quietly, let me take care of it for you. Like the guru that you are. And uh, right now I'm drinking the best coffee I've ever had in my life, and apparently there's no sugar in it. No sugar. Thank you. Yeah, a little hemp force active, a little uh, hemp force recovery. I'm feeling active. Uh-huh. And I'm a little feeling MCT, recovered. A little butter, a oh, little coffee. Oh, Not bad. Fat running through my system, you <laughs> filthy animals. <laughs> That's the way we like it. We mm-hmm. like to get you charged up and yeah. see what happens. Yeah. Just keep... Well, you know what's funny is when you learn a little bit about nutrition, and I consider myself an expert because I've read two books and I've talked to three experts. So, of course, you know, it's like by osmosis. And another thing about insulin that you don't know, I'm a, I'm, a little knowledge with me goes way too far. And, uh, but you'll, you'll find yourself saying things like, gotta up your fat, gotta up your fat. I don't even know what, the, I don't even know what that means, but in a way I'm right. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Yeah. That's the fu- That's the crazy conundrum of our, of our time is that fat was a villain and now fat is the friend. That's right. It's and been it, like a total reversal. And, 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 and a lot of it was because of a guy named Ansel Keys, yeah. who was a very charismatic, um, physiologist out of Cornell University, I think, who did this seven continents study, who, you know, basically mm-hmm. went and so I said, you know, I've studied the very shoddy work, but he said I, he had a very kind of powerful commanding voice. 
and he was very, very persuasive. And he did some good studying. bone structure. He had a, he uh, from what I hear, he was charismatic looking. Did they, did Picture me. The kid had more a piece hair. on him. Yeah, he had a piece on him. He had a piece <laughs> that was just just testing his Levi's, <laughs> tenting his jeans, tenting his jeans, like with me. And but uh, but he went around and said he did this a couple studies on cholesterol and things and found that Indian mill workers and various people were eating a primarily vegetarian or high fiber, low fat diet and said that must be the culprit we have an epidemic of heart disease in this country so guess what low fat uh high fiber which really meant low fat high carbohydrate diet is the way to go yeah so you had a mat and it's amazing how one man with a bad idea and faulty science with a big voice can fuck up the physiology of an entire generation with the fuel of the sugar lobby saying hey we got something else we can do here we can put in sugar instead of fat and nobody will know the difference they'll get the flavor back because take all the flavor from the fat out and put it back in with sugar so it just kind of coincided with industrial interests but you know the, the fucked up thing is then you look at areas like you know there's a diet called the french paradox diet which is Mm -hmm. the same kind of study Uh where you look at what they eat in france and it's what is it uh butter and more butter they have like butter on top of butter on top of butter a lot of fat yeah a ton of cheese Cheese, and and by the way meaty uh fatty meats too no problem they eat no problem and they live forever too yeah you know and and but science at that time would just kind of discard those that's the paradox right who knows why well we lose that we lose sight of what um works for cultures that have been around for thousands of years and only in the United States, and there's a good side and a bad side, but only in the U.S. do we reinvent the wheel. We reinvent sort of the new way of doing something. And what we do, I think, is in this country, we're very atomistic. In other words, we tend to focus on one aspect of the whole. And, and I know you think about this a lot. And whereas there tends to be, like, it's literally a difference between Eastern and Western mythology. I mean, Eastern mythology is a cyclical notion that you are a small tree on a very big, a small leaf on a very big tree. Whereas if you look at the Judeo-Christian ethic, it's a, it's a linear progression. You as one individual can change history as we know it. Mm-hmm. Think about Moses, think about Jesus, think about anybody, any of the prophets. <clears throat> and there's a beginning and an end. So that kind of also bleeds into the notion that, you know, for, it's, it's amazing when they come up with uh, omega fatty acids, omega-3 fatty acids are good for you. Well, they put them, they isolate them, and they drop them in everything from bread to orange juice. Yeah. And that's not, you're missing the point, man. Right. You, you, they, they, if you eat the fish, it's good for you. I mean, if you, then you go to Greece or you go to you know, Italy and they're like, what are you talking about? What? But what? what? Let me yeah. just eat my, you know, let me live my life. I, live, I take a nap. I live my life a certain way. I, I, I pay attention to what's around me. And there's a, there's a holistic point of view. Yeah. You know, which I think we tend to, we, as Americans, well, we try to get into it, but we always, we keep, we, <laughs> we lose our way, man. And that's the, that's the <clears throat> pharmaceutical paradigm. That yep. is that chase one symptom, you mm-hmm. know, down and put one thing, regardless of however much other stuff it fucks up. That's but, right. You know, we'll fix that one thing, destroy the rest. Doesn't matter. We'll have other things. It'll fix the other things that you destroy. But it ends up just being this deleterious cycle that people get stuck in, you know, and it's it's a crazy paradigm that we yeah. live in where we don't treat the root causes like yeah. the root cause of all mental, you know, issues is generally fear. Yeah. But we're not treating the fear. We're yeah. treating this this one thing. Oh, you got a little cortisol. Oh, you got a little anxiety here. Oh, you got a little this. What about just the fucking fear? Yeah. You know, let's treat that instead. Or well, that's the- I love. I'm obsessed with that notion. The the idea that you you get to the root of things. We talk around issues in this country, even racism. If you look at like Thomas Sowell, who's a um, 
I think he's out of Princeton University and he's a black scholar. And he kind of wrote this really, really provocative book called um, White Liberals, Black Rednecks. And he makes this, this he's, he grew up very poor and he grew up you know, in, in, in a pretty violent neighborhood, a black neighborhood. And, and he became obsessed with why and what was going on with, with ghetto culture and, and specifically black culture because that's what he came from. Um, and so we tend to talk about race. And in this country, we, talk, we like to say, well, the, the power structure keeps certain people down. And what we have to do is either shatter the power structure or we've got to put governors on the power structure so the people down below can rise up. It's a ridiculous idea. It's a ridiculous way of thinking because if you think about the people you admire, whoever they might be, they, they came up despite yep. all the oppression. That's, that's the point of the American dream. It's the point of the human, exist, uh, the human struggle. Um, yes, you have to make the playing field equal. There are different ways to do that with laws and things. But, but the, the idea that you're going to bring down those that are producing and those that are strong and those that are flourishing and by bringing them down or governing them, you're going to bring people up is a ridiculous idea. Rather, let's take a look at where, uh, this is Thomas Sowell's thing, let's take a look at where certain cultures, so when African Americans were brought to this country, they were brought here primarily by people who were Scots-Irish and uh, English, and, and there, was a, there was a culture back then that obviously the black um, population assimilated to an, to an extent. And he draws this really interesting conclusion, or sort of interesting connections between sort of hillbilly, redneck, or even just herder cultures, which are somewhat violent and, um, well, well, they settle their, their, their problems fairly, fairly violently. They're not, they're not the most passive group. You sure. know, you, and, and, and he kind of draws a comparison where certain aspects of ghetto culture have assimilated those kinds of cultures. And in order to get kids to rise up in the 21st century, you might want to think about changing certain cultural aspects that don't work for the 21st century. Just like you and I have a culture that works very well in, in this economy, but you drop you and I in the Amazon or in the Arctic, and our culture doesn't mean a goddamn thing because yeah. we're going to freeze to death and we're going to starve to death or we're going we're gonna to die of bug bites or whatever it might be. So the idea is rather than talk about race and rather than talk about bringing someone down or whatever it is, let's talk about, let's talk about how we can share cultures, how, how I can take an aspect of that culture that works and that culture that works and what's the best culture for the 21st century. Well, even, even, then, <laughs> even then, like what you're saying is really incredibly important that people are talking about race as if the only the only thing that's happening is a negative form of this oppression right mm -hmm. that it's not actually you know something that anybody because because then then it allows people to be the victim it allows people to say oh well people are privileged that's why they're successful exactly. it, it sucks the fire and the drive from it's them rather inspiring. than saying yeah, yeah rather than saying hey look you have more challenge what does challenge bring challenge is the grindstone by which you sharpen the sword of your spirit so that you can become greater and become stronger and, and just overcome. what you said just that yeah. just that just that is something that is i'm sorry it's lost on so many right. on so many teachers on on certain cultures i'm and i i don't hear that a lot out of sort of the progressive left i don't no i just don't and that's a big problem and i think it's why they lost a lot of relevance but just what you said just the just that perspective mm -hmm. of saying um, this is going to sharpen your sword. Whatever doesn't, you know, kill me makes me stronger. Yeah, totally. And of course, you need tutelage and you need help and look, you need look to change these conditions so that it's all even. I'm down with that. But yeah. then don't tell everybody that they can't do something because of that. Don't 
fuel that voice that is just going to keep them. It's just giving fuel to that capital R resistance, as yeah. Stephen Pressfield said, that thing that's going to keep them on a lower level because they say, oh, well, of course I'm not able to succeed because, you know, society's put it up against me yeah. rather than flipping it and having that stoic obstacle is the way philosophy like, oh, great, you got a challenge. That means yeah. in order to get through, you're going to have to be tougher, stronger, smarter, better. That's right. You know, that's and right. that's that's, that's certainly the mythology the all of us universally embrace. Yeah. Everybody in the world. You know, why can J.K. Rowling fill the stadium or why, why are these stories? It's always about one one person who fights all the odds and, and rises up. Yeah, that's I don't know of any culture that doesn't have a story like that and, and where that isn't the ideal. So there's got to be something that resonates with the human condition that that makes sense. And so whenever I hear people speaking and, and casting certain groups as victims, I mean, if you listen to the political rhetoric that came out of the left, it was all about we've got Bernie Sanders was talking about we have to get rid of xenophobia and racism and sexism and homophobia. Yes, Bernie. Yes, I agree with you. I do agree that that and especially if you look at the African American population, there's if you look at history, I always say that you have to if you read American history, you have to read about essentially the Amer African American experience, because there mm -hmm. was a constant assault on that entire community. Sure. It just was. But at the end of the day, I, you can't tell me that the problems are racism and xenophobia. And, and I don't know what to do with that, man. I don't know what to do with that. What you right. just did is made me feel bad. You make me feel guilty. And you make that person, you cast a whole group of people as victims. Yep. And so now, now what, what am I supposed to do that you've labeled giant, these huge evils with these huge labels? And I have no idea what that even means. I, I, I see people who in the workplace who don't have any of those problems. They just want to get their work done. They're yeah. too busy. <laughs> What do you mean you're black? What? You're white? You're a woman? What? What are you talking about? Let's get, we got to get the product out. Right. You, you run a business. Yeah. You know that. What are you talking about? Nobody has, nobody has time for that the, shit. The, what what's he, your national, what's your family tree? <laughs> the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Let's just get it done. Yeah. What he did is he, he created, he gave one class a bunch of guilt, which is going to be an anchor as well, an emotional, psychological anchor yes. that they're going to have to bear. Yes. And he gave one group, he just sucked the motivation, yes. you know, from them to overcome by telling them that, oh, you know, you weren't supposed to succeed. Everything was against you. So it's not your fault. You know, Uncle Bernie is going to take care of it. And I'm going to tax the shit out yeah. of people who produce. And then even that concept, like when you start to lose these un metaphysical underpinnings, like the hero's journey, mm -hmm. like these philosophical concepts, like the idea that you're going to tax all of the wealth away from the rich and give it to everybody, the act of taking something from someone is going to cause them to become more defensive. Yes. They're going to hide their money. They're going to move it overseas. Yes. They're going to fucking scramble to the weeds. And you're not going to get nearly as much as you think you're going to get. That's right. You know, the way to get money from the wealthy is to convince the wealthy of other metaphysical truths that everybody is them living another life and they should want to give their money. Yes. They should want to help people. That's the only way that they're going to bring all of that wealth that's in the fucking Cayman Islands that you're never going to find and bring it to bear and actually start to fix the world is if they open their hearts and they want to. Uh, not only that, but if you let's be careful even labeling who are the wealthy. I know a lot of people who weren't wealthy and now are wealthy. Yeah. I mean, you know, somebody said to me, um, man, how, how did you do what you, you know, things are going well for me. I don't know, but I'm 50. And guess what? I'm on a TV show and I have a great podcast and I have a really thriving stand-up career and I make lots of money. And somebody, some kid said, yeah, how, man, how did you do it? Like, what is it? What is the secret essentially looking at me? I want to I want to do what you do. Well, I failed for a long time. <laughs> I sat in traffic and didn't do well for a long time, like years, man, years, like 20 years or whatever it is, up and down, up and down, anxiety, all that stuff, stress. Oh, yeah. 
that's what you did to know I wasn't wealthy. It wasn't, yeah. it's not like, uh, it's always changing. So let's be, that's the other thing is just to realize that life is a verb and that there is wealth and, and all those things are mindsets. Yeah. They're mindsets. Man. Well, look what happens too. You, you look at those studies of what happens when someone wins the lottery. Like when you get it and you haven't earned it and you haven't forged the steel yeah. of your character yeah. in the process of failing and, and tempered yourself in that way, you fucking crumble. These yeah. people are not happy when they win the yeah. lottery in a Tennessee, couple of years. Tennessee Williams, a great playwright, wrote, a, wrote a, an essay called The Catastrophe of Success. Yeah. where he got really famous and he was a writer, but he, he was a writer. I mean, he worked at a shoe factory. He was this gay man in the South. He had to, he was closeted. His life was struggle. It was so hard. He lived, I don't even think he had a father. He grew up poor and, and he would write poems on the back of the shoes when he would, the, the, sort of the soul. This sounds like one of those things they did in Deadpool where they were playing games. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, you had a house? <laughs> you had a shoe? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And yeah. that, that's what it was. Yeah. And yet he, you know, um, he, he found a way to make, you know, beauty out of nothing by writing these incredible plays. The Glass Menagerie becomes this huge hit and he's got all this money and he's in this hotel and he said, I started to lose the ability to decipher between the gravy and the chocolate sauce that went on my ice cream. I, could, <laughs> like, I couldn't figure it out. I had this ancient woman dragging a pail up to clean my bathroom and I was embarrassed. She was cleaning up my mess. It made me, it made me feel less than. And he did, it's an incredible essay about, yeah. you know, you better be careful because he says the wolf at the door is not struggle. It's luxury. Yeah. You know, it's a really, it's a really, really interesting. Another author, I, I've told this story before, but Dostoevsky, mm, who was, it. you know, he was on the firing line and mm -hmm. as a, as, you know, for his rebellion against the czar. And then he got stayed, execution stayed, went to the gulag and worked. And through that pain, you know, in the gulag, he came out and he started writing and then he got famous and then he got rich once yes. he got famous. And then once everybody was, should read when he, was, punishment. when he was rich and famous, he realized he couldn't fucking write. Mm -hmm. You know, he could write when he was poor and yes. had nothing and yes. was fresh off the gulag. So he <laughs> consciously went to the casino and gambled all of his wealth. I didn't away. know that. That's what that's what the all idiot is from, away. right? I think he wrote the yeah. idiot based on that. Yep. Yeah. And gambled it all away in a single that. night, just kept pushing it in until it was all gone. And was like, now I'm broke again. Maybe I can write. Wow. And he repeated this, I think, again another time to, to actually give him the fuel because he couldn't do it mentally. You know, he was like, yeah. and, and there's, That's it's not that it's not that you have to do that, give away everything, but you have to at least do that mentally, but he had to do it physically. It's you know, amazing. That, it's amazing that you say that because Tennessee Williams couldn't write. He ended up, he couldn't, he couldn't write anymore. Yeah. And then he had an eye operation and had to retreat behind a pad of gauze. And he was very uncomfortable and he had one eye <laughs> and he went to Mexico and rented a rudimentary shack and that's where he wrote A Streetcar Named Desire. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when young men ask me what to read, I always start with Joseph Campbell. Like a lot of times I say, just read everything by Joseph Campbell. Just start there. Yep. Start there. Because he'll, he'll, he'll get you on your way to the hero's journey and sort of the, the power of myth and all that stuff. And because it's, it's, it all touches on these motifs. What the fuck is up with our school? Like, why, why don't we read the use, really the use, most useful stuff? I tell you why. Uh, most of it, it, because most of our schools are based on the Victorian model, the idea that you have to put out good factory workers, the idea that you have to sit in a, I mean, think about how schools are run. Yeah. You sit in rows and you answer to a bell and there are certain tests and, uh, and there's, it's a very sort of um, rudimentary way of getting people to be good 
cogs like an in a machine. assembly line. Good workers. Yeah, that's makes right. Sense. And of course, that's losing its relevance. And you see more and more. You see these kids coming out of very good colleges, a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars in debt, with zero transferable skills to the workplace. So now Apple is saying, let's create our own university. These people don't know what the, it's. You know, you're wasting all your money and you're going into debt. That's bullshit. And so that's that's what's going on. You you have yeah. two things going on in our schools. One is that, and the other is the in the sort of somehow colleges have been hijacked by this radical. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a Marxist left or this. There's this. You know, like oh that whole that whole dude, thing going on. Like come it's on, insane. man. You know. Yeah, so. and it's you look at what like in a utopia. You know what schools would be teaching people like the really essential stuff like the importance of the different ways that you breathe to, to alleviate, to alleviate yes. stress, you know, like breathing, like breathing into your stomach, mm. you know, instead mm. of this ch shallow chest breathing, like teach kids about that. Yeah. You're stressed. Start breathing into your stomach. Mm. Simple shit of how to operate the human machinery. Right. And, and actually maybe teach something about, lovemaking and sex so that kids aren't learning how to fuck by watching Pornhub. That would be like taking MMA fighters, teaching them how to fight by watching world star hip hop. God, that's so interesting. Like that's, that's not, the, so way, right about it's not that. the way to like tell people how to operate the human machinery to the best of their ability, get real experts. Well, you're teaching, you know, you're talking that. about teaching the art of learning. Yeah. You know, the art of learning Josh Waitzkin, the, uh, the chess guy who's now um, obsessed with jujitsu and trains with, uh, um, what's his name? Marcelo Garcia. And, uh, Josh wrote an amazing book everybody should read called the the art of learning and he talks about how you become a chess master and what why he can play 50 people at one time and how you get to when you master something you can you can you can chunk information it's a beautiful book but he has a school I don't know if it's still open but he he opened a school and he teaches children how to learn through chess I think uh, I think it's chess jujitsu and um, music I believe mm -hmm. And so that the, the, because the the process that you undertake, understanding rudiment rudiments, understanding sort of the base, getting a base first, and and jumping from there, and there, there's a whole process. Position that. before submission, All basic that. shit like that. Yes, you know? but we don't learn that. I didn't yeah. look, man. I grew up, and my mother would say, "You have to concentrate," and she didn't understand. You have to concentrate. I don't know what the fuck that means. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Yeah. I remember I remember trying to go like this. I would do this. I, would, I go, let me concentrate. I couldn't. My, my brain was, I was all over the place. I was, um, um, I, was, I was always fantasizing. Thank God, because that's how I make my living. I was always, I had an imagination. I wasn't interested in, in learning whatever it was that you were teaching me. I wanted to dream and I wanted to wonder. And that was the way I was wired. And I had to move when I learn. When I write, I, I walk. I can't sit. So what about kids like that? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. The kids now, they, they put them on Ritalin. Mm -hmm. uh, we've talk, uh, this is nothing new, but this is the problem. that you, We do that to calm them down so that they'll be good workers. And I think a lot of this is changing. I hope. I don't it, know. I think it has to. I yeah. think, and I think also, you know, the times, people are looking at, at the times with the, the president. And I know some people are still in favor of it, but a lot of people are feeling this and saying, oh, woe is us. This is terrible. But you can also look at it from that stoic way, like, this is a point of resistance. Like when Trump made that Muslim ban, you had people in the fucking Midwest holding up signs saying, yes. we are all Muslims now. Yes. Like, yes. That, I love, Amer I love that, the American spirit that for that. That form of resistance can be incredibly valuable. Yes. It brings you know? people together. So, so he may be the greatest president we have ever had, mm -hmm. unintentionally. I love, I love it. You I, know? I, like, 
I agree 100%, Aubrey. This I, could create the best thing that's ever happened to our country. Yes. It could really galvanize. Because when you overstep, then people realize like, oh, man, that's too far. Man, you really, my, all my beliefs are really too far. We got to we gotta come together and, well, and do something Americans else have this. a deep sense of fair play. Yeah. They do. And, yep. and I do. It, it bothered me. I was, I was losing sleep over that band because maybe because I grew up in the Arab world for eight years of my life. Yeah. So it was an emotional thing. But um, also a lot of the refugees are women and children. We, we can go on and on and on. But um, and then, I, then I realized that that's exactly what it was. I thought to myself, this is a good opportunity for everybody to. And it has. It, it has. Yeah, it makes, you've it pushed actually, Americans now. And they go, wait a minute. We've always prided ourselves as being a beacon of hope. That's what the Statue of Liberty is about. And mm, you guys, yep. are, this is not right. It's gone the other way. It's the best. Yeah. It's it's created a really favorable atmosphere for Muslims because people are point. I saw something today just on my social feed, and it's this doctor, you know, from one of the banned countries saying, um, "I'm taking care of your mother, but I can't go visit mine." God. You know, and he's holding this this sign up, and it's like that's what the message is being out here. It's very supportive of these cultures, very much you know, so. and so it's like and it's you a want beautiful to thing. This is like. I, I mentioned I said this before even like right during the election I wrote this this article and I said listen how did the fellowship of the ring come together obviously this is fiction but how did the dwarves it's the not elves, fiction actually the humans yeah. the hobbits yeah it's allegory yeah. but how did all of that come together it came together because of the rise of the two towers and this is a world war ii allegory you so see. this actually did kind of happen the allies came together but it comes together because of a force of resistance like so great we have resistance yeah. yay you know, stop fucking whining That's about it. Great, it's yay! A, it's a great, it's a great perspective. That that you just encapsulated, and and gave a very um, clear example of how you can turn a negative into a positive. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's 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 a great way to put it. And that's the that's one of the great secrets to life. Just reframing these things, it changes your whole energy system. It changes the way you look at it. When it's like, oh man, that's a massive challenge I have ahead. Okay, you, good. You've got to be vigilant, right? The, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. You, you've got to be vigilant too. The, the, the real, the, the ironic sort of uh, hidden insidious danger could be, I think some of Trump's policies are going to work for the economy. I do think that less regulation and lower taxes and things could very well spike a boost. I think he's putting a lot of pressure on American companies to keep you know jobs here, which I think is always a mistake in the grand pantheon of sure. things because there are some countries that do things more efficiently but that doesn't matter the, the 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 bigger the more insidious thing to worry about and to keep guard of is if in four years we are doing very well economically overall but his authoritarian measures um have stayed in place so we have a wall or at least the construction wall we still have this ban um and uh and there's been no terrorism the, the problem is people can tend to embrace an authoritarian because it seems like it's good for them. See Putin in the 90s when oil prices were spiked and Russia was doing so yeah. well. All of a sudden he becomes Papa Putin and you forget that in fact uh, you're all good with a strong man until you disagree with him. And one of the worries is that, you know, Sean Hannity's when he was Sean Hannity was a fucking Trump cheerleader. And look <laughs> man, I never criticized anybody for supporting Trump because I did not like Hillary. Mm -hmm. And Hillary was speaking the same way Obama was after eight years. And there was a huge segment of the population that couldn't pay their bills. So I understand why you'd say, I, I don't like the guy. A lot of Trump supporters in the Midwest, whoever, wherever they are, don't like the guy as a man. But, you know, they kind of like what he's doing. Or at least let me give it a shot. It's better sure. than 
the entrenched politician over here. And therein lies, I think, the biggest problem for me because I didn't like either candidate either. You know, every time I say something about Trump, they're like, oh, yeah, Hillary, boy, go back to the left. I'm like, no, that was terrible, too. Like (laughs) there's two terrible options and we're presented with a binary choice in what should be a fucking quantum world. This should be a quantum system where there's myriad choices and all of them are valid and all of them get airtime. And you just look at the character of the human and the policy behind it and then support that thing that that really suits you. Mm -hmm. You know, but this this like binary choice, what I'm also afraid of. Yeah, I see, you know, that potential option being bad. But the other option would be this massive swing back to the left where the whole country just goes whatever the left puts out yeah. whoever that is we're going with that person. isn't this the same way what goes back to americans kind yeah. of going well, omega-3 are good let's let's put all all Everything, of it in there we 100%. go from one fucking extreme to another yeah, it's exa- unbelievable exactly and then you know but then maybe if they overstep that way maybe then at that point finally they realize like oh if we go too far this way we're dummies if we go too far this way we're dummies yeah. let's break the yoke of this two-party system come up with a new system that works and i think well there are a lot a- of people who are starting to i think move in your direction in that mm-hmm. sense into my direction there are a lot of people yeah who are going you know most people are most people are too busy not to be moderate okay? <laughs> right 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 most of us are just i'm just too busy to not you know it's like <laughs> It's like my stand-up, you know, I, I was like, I'm too horny to be a good person. You know? <laughs> I'd love to do it for charity, but I got, I got too many videos on Pornhub to watch. You know, I mean, it's, I can't Google charity right now. It's the same idea. You know, most of us are too fucking busy. I got, I'm busy. So, you know, for what if me there to, was a charity, charity to porn kind of app, right? Well, Where you have to donate to a charity yeah. to watch your porn. Right. Well, I do that with my cock and I gift my cock. Out you gift you. it to people who don't I, even deserve it. It would be unfair to pull it back. <laughs> you ladies want a 50 year old married dick? Check this out. <laughs> Go to work, girls. Sorry about the propecia. It's a little softer than normal, normal, normal. I don't know why I have an echo there. Uh, uh, anyway, you got to bring it back to the cock. It's very important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there it is. Yeah. So what? So you uh, this is Disneyland for me mm-hmm. on it. I had a workout in, in DeFranco's gym, and uh, I, of course, had my shake yesterday, and now I had this incredible coffee. You, uh, I think the company is exploding. It seems to be, I, everybody seems to know it. I see it on shelves now. Yep. It's a whole different level. Yep. So now that you're a mogul, um, first of all, I'm surprised you're not wearing robes because I would abuse slippers. my power. I would wear a slippers just and a petting, robe. Just petting people softly on the face as and I walk. And blessing by. them, blessing them. <laughs> yeah. And saying uh-huh. you're welcome as you do it, uh-huh. and then being carried around. I would never walk. I would have my <laughs> litters. My, yes, I would have my people carry me, uh-huh. and I'd have pet names. Do you, see, you see that show, The Young Pope? No. That's oh, funny. I got yeah. Is that it with uh, um, Jude Law? Yeah. Yeah. How it's not, is it? It's not great. It's not yeah. great. I caught myself watching a little bit. It's just he's that way. Like you know, he puts on his wizard hat and his robes, and yes. he gets carried in litters. And he's, well, the Pope, you know, for the the new Pope. Uh, what's his name? Um, he was kind of revolutionary because when he got there, I mean, the clergy in the Vatican, they live very well. The mm. Pope has his own tailor, his own shoemaker, his own. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that when he got well, into power. if you're power, wearing really fucked up stuff like the Pope. You, you have to have it made. Own, you have to have your own tailor. You can't go to the shelf if you're the I, Pope. I need silk. I need long silk robes that drag on the ground, please. <laughs> and I want them to be white. No, scratch that. I want them to be pearl. With fact, gold leaf. And please. with gold leaf. Real gold leaf, please. And how much will that be? 
Do you have any of those pointy hats that go up about 18 inches yes. and come to a point? Because I'm the only gateway to heaven, so fuck <laughs> off, everyone. God, I'd love to be the Pope. And now yeah. it's time for some fucking. I have to take my fuck break, everyone. Sorry, uh, buddy, I'm Catholic, don't worry. Yeah, real Catholic. I catch fire when I step into church. I don't know how to raise my kids with... Uh, that's the other thing I've been thinking about. With, with what mythology? I can, I can wax poetic, but there is something... There is something very stabilizing and even beneficial about coming up under um, the traditional religions because there's a lot of good in, in terms of they, they provide a framework and a moral and ethical, the moral and ethical Well, they provide some metaphysical underpinnings. The yeah. problem is that it's been manipulated for power. So I think, mm. I think that was a point that Jordan Peterson made super well in, yeah. on Joe's podcast is the need for metaphysical underpinnings. Yes. And I've always sought that out myself, you know, exploring know. my own consciousness and figuring that out. But to put it in that framework, like, oh, that is something that we all need because that is the foundational piece. So I think rebuilding that in that non, you know, non-religious sense, I think is absolutely essential. But that metaphysical underpinning, we need it. Yeah. We really need we it. Really otherwise, otherwise, we put all of our focus on identity, mm -hmm. you know, and these games of identity, who we are, and, and that becomes well, we get Well, we get blown, like Jordan Peterson said, we get blown by the, by the tides, by the winds of ideology. Yeah. And again, it goes back to what you're saying. Either we go all the way over here or all the way over here because people are, human beings are naturally religious. In other words, we need something to believe in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this is where you, you can see it everywhere you look. Um, and so... I think that you're right, that that's, that's the metaphysical underpinnings have been etched out for us in certain ethics, whether it's Buddhism or Christianity or Hinduism or Islam or, or, Christianity or, or um, Judaism. They seem to work if you treat them as metaphor, an allegory, not as fundamental not truths. As you just have to avoid the major <clears throat> traps, of the major traps of guilt and the major traps of um, you know, the idea that you're better than everybody else who isn't part of your religious tribe well, you know yeah. like the dark side of religious tribalism that has caused more death and suffering than probably mm. any idea in ever in history mm. this idea that my religion is right and i have the right to kill you because you're not part of it well this know? is human the human beings i talk about it in my stand-up now sure it, 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 this is this is what we do when I, as soon as we have some information and it works for us and we have some data to back it up we want the world to be that way I go through this all the time where I walk by a very heavy person and in my mind I'm like I have nutritional secrets in my brain that could set you free <laughs> come to me my child come and of course in my mind I can revolutionize their lives and it's fun to do <clears throat> Tony Robbins does that I watched uh, I'm not your guru mm -hmm. did you see it no I haven't seen that yet he he comes across very well I I, I you know I had written a tv show about a guru gone bad and I I listened to every one of Tony Robbins' tapes. And in my mind, I, was, I couldn't wait to make fun of him. But in fact, I was a convert. I listened to it, and I go, Jesus, <laughs> this guy knows how the human brain works. At least he knows how my brain works. Sure. God dang. And there was a lot of really useful stuff. But what's interesting, though, is that, um, and I know it's his struggle, I'm sure, is how do, you, how do you make change last? And so he's got all these great sort of, techniques and ways of looking at the human brain and all that stuff but his basic his basic idea is to increase the pain of not changing and then ramp up the pleasure 
of the change, yeah, right? You know, right. so it's, he that's, calls it getting leverage on yourself. Yeah. It's that kind of putting yourself in that vice where the, you exacerbate the pain of that. Because people are always running from pain toward pleasure. That's yeah. what, that's how human And there's, are. you know, I, I tweeted something out yesterday about rock bottom. I had this realization that like rock bottom is real medicine. That's the point where pain is so great that you must change, that, mm -hmm. that you're inspired to finally change. I, I, that I, Ronda Rousey put that quote on her um, Instagram. She said, and rock bottom was the foundation from which she built, built the rest of her life or whatever it was. It was from J.K. Rowling. And she put mm -hmm. this really cool quote on yeah. there. And then, but then the skill is, is that we all get to decide what our rock bottom is. We all get to decide, okay, enough is enough. Mm. Like, here it is. And it's hard, you know, you can, you can overcome with will, you know, and make, make any point in time, you know, rock bottom, even if it's just a mild discomfort. Like we have that power to say, this is it, mm. you know, but, but if, if we don't do that, the universe will do it for us and they'll ramp up the fucking pain until we make that change. Ain't that the truth? Ain't you that know? you can do whatever you want, but the truth sits there with a fedora and a cigar on a, on a couch and just waits for you. It's like, oh, you, you're still doing that thing. You're still pretending. All right, yeah. I'll be over here when you need me. I'll be here. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. You take your time. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's growing saltier and braver oh, and, and you see nagging. it. Yeah. Oh, when people don't face up to who they are. Oh, yeah. God dang it. My, I had an acting teacher who said, in order to be who you really are, you got to face up to who you're pretending to be. And I never forgot that. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> yeah. There's another good technique that Tony Robbins talks about, which is changing your primary question. So most of us have unhelpful questions that run through our brains all the time, which is, am I lovable? What if I fail? Am I good enough? Uh, all that bullshit that we do. And he said, you can, and I found it very helpful. He said, you can reprogram that question. You can, you can reprogram that question and ask yourself an empowering question that leads you to action. Like, what do I have to do today? What action, what one thing can I, can I do today to get myself closer to my goal? But then again, what is my goal? That's yeah. another fucking, and then again, that's a hard thing I've been do. debating whether even goals themselves contain an inherent flaw. You know, like, like in the goal is something that you're projecting into the future. So you're always focused on something that's not in the present. And you're judging yourself accordingly, success or failure, based on something that ultimately may not be within your own power. Yeah, right? 100%. Like, so, so in my mind, it's better to just focus on process. Like focus on the process of how you would get to that goal and the other goal. Cause as soon as you get that goal, you make another fucking goal. Yes. You know, it's not like, it's not like you get there and you're happy and you're like, woo. Well, I'm so, there. so Christianity and, uh, well, religions in general and, uh, the Greeks, um, Socrates had a way, well, actually Plato had a way out of that. Uh, when I say Plato, it's, you know, it was probably Socrates, but, but you know, there are two ideas. One is Plato's forms, which is the idea that you can, and, and the, thing, the same thing is the sort of the perfect man, which would be Christ, right, for, for Christians. The idea that you can never be, you can never be what Christ is because he's just too perfect, right? He walks on water and he's God, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so how can I be like him? Well, you can't, uh, and it's exactly like Plato's forms, which is you can imagine a perfect man. You, just like you can imagine a perfect horse or a perfect circle or a perfect square. But if you were to draw a perfect square, you'd never get it right. It'd be off, always just be off a little. Or same thing with a circle. You just always have a little bit off. So you can never reach perfection. But that doesn't mean you can't imagine perfection. So mm -hmm. the idea is never, you'll never reach perfection, but you should always be reaching. I, I'm sorry, you'll never get there, but you should always be yep. reaching for it. So keep that ideal in your brain. Know that there's no end. I mean, if, uh, listen, listen. I mean, come on. Somebody asked me, you know, what are your goals? I'm living my goals. I'm yeah. living my goals. I, I don't believe in that. I, 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 and I, I love that you said that. It's very important because 
It's so true. You, I spent so much time in Los Angeles, and here I am with my own TV show. I just got word yesterday, and I'm doing the Goldbergs, and you know, and and I'm and I get recognized by name now, and and my podcast is huge, and you know, I'm, I'm my standup is better than it's ever been. Yay, Brian, selling out, and it's a great feeling. I love it. I love people, so I love to be recognized and stuff. It doesn't get better than it doesn't. It might get more. It doesn't get better. It doesn't. It's not as though. Uh, I'm going to have another Tesla and I'm going to be happier or whatever it might be, right? The rest might be, I suppose, if you have, if you make enough money, you are very good at satisfying your appetites. Lines get straighter and, and, and the curves get fuller and, uh, and food is, is prepared to the, to the umpteenth degree. There are things that satisfy your stomach and your cock and your mouth and your eyes. You have a better All of view. the orifice pleasures. Indeed, indeed. The pleasures of the holes. You, yes, but you better not take that fucking struggle that got you there in the first place away. You're going to be in yeah. some trouble, right? I mean, yeah. don't you... You are here. You are a young, handsome man. You've got all your faculties. You have the world at your fingertips. I mean, you could... You have everything. I mean, I'm looking at this. You've created this whole crazy thing, you know, this on it thing, and you've done it you know, you've, you've created something here, very important, but are you, are you ready to stop? Are you, are you, are you done? Right. Yeah. Right? There's I mean, you're a classic example of, you're an ex example of extreme success while still being young, you know, while having everything you want. And actually you're the guy, you're physically the kind of guy that women would want anyway. You know, I mean, I'm not, not to blow smoke up your ass, but I'm very attracted to you <laughs> and I have a heart on, but no, but I, but I mean, but you're a good case study yeah you're a very good case study because here you are aubrey you got everything you could no, ask for because and go it's it's even more of a challenge not to look at what i've done and say this is nothing you know like it's 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 actually i go the other way and be like ah what am i doing with my life <laughs> you know what i mean like that's that's more, i love that i tend to swing the other way instead of patting myself on the back and saying like hey man you did a pretty good job here you know yeah. like let's enjoy it and like ah you're way behind schedule. You know, like, look what you could have been if you yeah. had made these different moves and if you'd have done these different things, if you'd have not been lazy at this one particular time and if you'd have focused on that. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it's always that process. And that's not really helpful either. Well, do you find yourself caught? I was thinking about you because <laughs> I know you now a long time and I know a little bit about your life. And and I, I've never heard anybody say a bad thing about you, which I think is a very important thing in life. I mean, I don't know, but, you know, it's, it's, it's good. And I, and I have people who know you very well. Um, so that's always a nice accomplishment and a nice place to be in your life. But do you, uh, I was thinking, do you think that you are somebody who is obsessed with figuring out how your own machinations, mm -hmm. your own mental machinations work? We've talked about this. Like you're, you're yeah, obsessed with learning. Because I put myself into hell all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I have heaven around me. Like literally heaven is like around me at my fingertips. Yes, you And do. I've mentally put myself into hell on the fucking reg. Yeah. Like, like, so right. I got to figure so it out. So you're torn between, it feels like you're always torn between, well, what if I die tomorrow? And you, you want to learn, figure out your own brain so you can master yeah. your own brain. But then at the same time, you're like, well, what if, you know, at the same time, I want to experience and touch and feel everything, you know, before I die or before mm -hmm. I lose this shit, you know? And it, it feels like you're kind of torn, like most of us, between sort of the spirit and the flesh in a very real way. Yeah. You know, you've surrounded yourself with these incredible sort of temptations and, and I mean it's just a Disneyland here well they're not really temptations because I do them all you do them all <laughs> you do them all which I fucking endorse wholeheartedly very jealous yeah. of your because he's a pimp ladies and gentlemen <laughs> hey ladies and gentlemen listen he might be your guru but look at me look at me he's a pimp neither neither everyone don't take him seriously and I, and I hear he's got a piece on him as well 
All right. I want uh, anyway. I want you to have one of my children. I'm gonna <laughs> set you up, my wife. I like your genetics. <laughs> anyway, sorry. My voice gets really creepy when I start talking. <laughs> Tell us about you, Aubrey. Take your shirt off right now. Let's get you moving around. I'm getting a little sweaty. This yeah, is getting weird. Yeah, this is getting naturally, weird. Naturally, naturally. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, but you put yourself on the hell, on, in hell on the reg. Yeah, that's it. That's it, man. And and it's, um, it's that, and that's where I learn stuff, though. That's where mm-hmm. I like, I go down in there, and things become uncomfortable, and then I'm able to help figure it out, and then I do my best to just share that and say, hey, I, this is what I did. I put myself into hell. You know, I realized recently last night. You know, I was, I was feeling really stressed and really kind of anxious and I was calling it, you know, oh, I'm just stressed and I was focusing on all the external shit, but I kept knocking down these external problems of why I was stressed, like bang, knock that one out, solve that problem, solve that problem, solve that problem. And I was still stressed and anxious and I was I like, what the time. fuck is going on? Mm-hmm. And then I realized like, hey, stop calling it stress. Just call it what it is. It's fear. Mm. It's fear. You're afraid right now. Mm. You're afraid you're not going to live up to your own standards. You're afraid that you're going to let people down. You're afraid. Like deal with the fear rather than dealing with the external stuff. So then go back inside, figure out where that fear is coming from, where that fear that, you know, I might hurt someone, I might let someone down, I might not be enough, I might not be able to give my ultimate gift, I might not live up to my destiny. Feel where that fear is and deal with that fear instead of, yeah, it's good to knock down the external stuff, but it always comes back to the internal. You know, that's how you get things straight. And then the external stuff becomes fun. Instead of this thing that's stressing you out, it becomes a puzzle, it becomes a chess match with your best friend in the universe, yeah. you know, which is the universe. Like, yeah. oh, okay, universe, here, here we are with this challenge. Let's play. Let's so you dance. acknowledge the fear, and then yeah. you, because one of <clears throat> the psychology of fear now with, with people who deal with this is they say <clears throat> you're you're in it. You're okay. You're 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 afraid, or your body is your body is tense. So you can look at it again as perspective. You can say, I'm stressed. I gotta I gotta get rid of this stress. I gotta stare at a fishbowl or whatever it might be. But then there are people who have found great success in saying, oh, this is just my body getting ready for action. Mm-hmm. This is just my body getting ready, and this is cortisol, and my heart's ready. And yeah, I, become and the you observer. Can, you can embrace the quickening. You yeah. can embrace this, this stimulating feeling. And I've talked to certain Navy SEALs about that, the psychology of combat, where they'll, sometimes they'll be like, well, people are shooting at me, and I could die. And then they go, wow, look at this. I'm really afraid. I, I'm I'm." my heart's racing and stuff like that, and I'm just gonna go back to my training and operate within the framework of this heightened reality. Mm-hmm. You know, which is, again, go, goes back to, if you try to fight it. Hmm. Nope, not gonna work. It's gonna don't, say, don't say you're not afraid, bro. Yeah. Uh, we fear, all do, as men, we do that. Yeah, fear is like a grizzly bear. You start running away from it, it's gonna chase you down and eat you asshole first. Yeah. Like, that's the, that's the only way oh it rolls. God, it's so true. Like, the only chance you got is to stand and face and get as big as you can and look it right in the eye and yeah. say, here I am, yeah. you know, and that's your best chance. And sometimes it is an actual bear, but a lot of times it's a fucking raccoon mm-hmm. that's chasing you down that you think in your mind is a grizzly bear. You turn around, the raccoon's like, oh, wait, wait, game's over. God. I'm going to run the other way. So true. You know, like very rarely is the fear actually, you know, equal to what you're giving it, the yeah. weight that you're giving it. Life so and death. Or always, yeah, always standing and facing. And, and that strategy you mentioned of being the observer is a great strategy no matter what. Fear, anger, all of these things. You know, you look at it, sadness. Look at it and go, oh, look, the Aubrey is stressed or the Aubrey is mad right now. Uh-huh. Look at the Aubrey getting all mad. Look at the Aubrey thinking of vengeance. Look at the Aubrey getting all fired up and ready to sling his poison back at his attacker. You know, like See, I do this all the time. So when I, when I walk and I write, mm-hmm. <clears throat> what happens is I start writing and I feel so good about the world. And then what happens is I go into this weird thing where I'm like, but there are people that could take it all away from me. 
There are yeah. spree shooters, and there, there are yeah. injustices out there. Right. Why am I so lucky? And I need to figure out a way to fight back in case I have to protect the ones I love. And in case there's a revolution, am I, I literally go through these fucking, I'm a prepper all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have yeah. an AK-47, which is ridiculous. i got to buy right. myself an AR-15 as well, by the way. Yeah. I, mean, I go through these fucking, should I be storing water? What about lentils and rice underground? I mean, I go, I'm like, hey, 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 relax, man. <laughs> yeah, totally. Go back to the work. Totally. We all do this. <clears throat> It's a, it's an interesting dance, you know. It's like, um, I, you know, one another quote. I think it's Yogananda is talking about like, you may can control a thousand ele elephants and have the have at the you know your disposal an army of a million men and all of these great feats, but nothing is greater than mastery of your own mind. Like yeah. that is the that is the ultimate feat yeah. to be able to get that to work in alignment. But see, my, my idea was always I don't want to be bullied, so I want to learn how to got to wrestle, got to be a wrestler, got a little taekwondo in case the bully wants to keep it standing you know what yeah. i'm saying gotta be ready. that's practical now, though I, and i still box now i'm, I'm sparring and <laughs> brendan schaub is like why are you sparring you moron you're 50 you're gonna hurt yourself because in case i got a, a situation i gotta be see what the punches are it's ridiculous and it's like that great that great wonderful uh fable uh where the uh the samurai the the, the shogun is coming into town uh, he's uh and he's got his army and every time an, uh, he would come into a town, he would, he would make the entire town had to leave and leave everything for him, food cooked and everything else, and he would come in and his men would eat. But anybody who was in the town would, be, would have their head cut off. And so the villagers all were like, hey, he's coming, let's get out of here, we go to the hills and wait till they leave. And there was a Buddhist monk who said, oh, I won't be leaving. And they said, are you crazy? He's going to kill you. And he said, well, if that happens, it happens. So there he was, the Buddhist monk in his saffron robes or whatever, as the great, as the great shogun rode in. And he said, do you not know who I am? I am the one who can cut you into a thousand pieces without batting an eye. And of course, of course, the Buddhist looked up and said, and I am the one who can be cut into a thousand pieces without batting an eye. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And the shogun let him go. Yeah. In reality, probably stab him, but you know. I don't know. <laughs> well, in, in order to do that, I mean, there's always the shogun in our life, and we always have that choice to be the monk, and that's again where that metaphysical truth comes in. Mm -hmm. You know, the monk who's experienced consciousness at that level, understanding that this physical form is temporary, anyways, and what he truly is is an invincible force that's animating this body, animating this identity. Then, yeah, look, at that I, point, I, you can get cut. It's going to be a little painful, but they, when you're in that mindset. I mean, these are monks that self-immolate themselves. They light themselves on fire Incredible. intentionally. Yeah, you know, and like that's that's where I think at, at fifty, um, I have I think I've learned that truly, not not just intellectually but emotionally <clears throat> and philosophically. I used to always have a great deal of trouble not um, being able to adhere completely to the idea of strength first. If you fuck with me. I take you out. I'm not talking about me. I'm just talking about from a geopolitical point of view or just in general as a man. That's There's a great deal of sure. cultural pressure that is put <clears throat> on you to um, to react that way. But then when you take a different look, so so a larger way to look at it is <clears throat> you, you may want to, uh, let's just take the refugee crisis. We want to keep things safe. So we want to, we want a blanket ban on all these could be, terrorists who come into our country so let's have an extreme vetting process never mind that it was seven uh, i think agencies that have to vet you and it takes about two years but forget that let's 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 just ban them all in case just in the name of safety okay so safety becomes your god safety be, safety is uh the 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 idea that um 
you know, we could have somebody come in and kill us is that trumps everything else, including our principles. Okay. So it no longer becomes what you, it no longer becomes how you think. What's way more important is how you think, not what you think. Because you'll find a lot of times that you may think something different than your enemy. And in this case, it could be an ISIS, a young man who's an ISIS, or it could be a terrorist or whatever you want to call it, or just say a young uh, radical Muslim man in this case, just because it's relevant. Well, okay. So, so I suppose he thinks the what he thinks is obviously perverted and doesn't work. And if he's killing people and cutting heads off, he's got to be stopped. I'm all for it. Let's get Tim Kennedy in there and fucking take yeah. him out. But remember that, in fact, um, your methodology, your methodology for stopping that person, whether it's a blanket ban or bombing him and everybody he knows, you may very well be thinking exactly the way he thinks. You just have a different target. And so you have to keep that in mind. Are you thinking the same way your enemy is? Is your thinking as corrupt and as bankrupt? Is your thinking as, as void of principle, especially American principle, mm -hmm. as that person's? And are you justifying yourself because you just have a different target? And that's very important because I see a lot of this now. Yep. And I'm afraid that this new administration is, has lost that concept. I think that in many ways, they think the same way. If you hear Donald Trump, he said, we have to kill their families. There's no other way. And I understand. I understand the idea. I understand the Israelis would bulldoze a terrorist's house because you know, he'd take their family's house out. And they found they had a lot of trouble with that. Yes, that might be effective sometimes. I mean, the Romans killed everybody. And they created a desert and called it peace, right? Create a wasteland and call it you know, silence. But That's the not the way to do things. But the barbarians came for him eventually, because really well, they, they also they also <clears throat> decayed. They also they also broke apart. Internally they decayed first. from the inside out. That's right. I yeah. mean, think about where Christianity came from. Christianity came. The, the the Greeks were. I'm sorry. The Romans were. You know, up to their ears in Greek philosophy. Their their children, the elites' children, had Greek tutors. And they were all about reason and philosophy. But it's very interesting that Christianity found its soil. This, this radical idea, this radical idea that I turn with the other cheek, that I'll hug and love my enemy. What the fuck? You know how un-Roman that was? And it's very interesting that somehow that philosophy, that's so counterintuitive, took hold in, in a society that held, held think about the, the Roman breastplate. Mm -hmm. Think about the, the, the ideal, the Roman ideal of power. I'm st I stand there. I stand there with a bigger chest and stronger with more weaponry than you do. Yeah, this is this is this is becoming we, we have always been Romans here in this country, but we have to remember that what makes our culture interesting and what makes us strong is also that we were we created safety and safe quarter for our gentler spirits and for those that need us and those that are helpless and those that are running away from oppression. Don't forget that, man. I know they come from Somalia and Sudan. I know they're extremists there. I, I sympathize with your feelings of your fear, your fear for safety. But I think your food choices are going to kill you a lot faster than is some poor deranged quote unquote terrorist. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, really only only ultimately love is going to end the cycle. You know, any type of violence unless it's complete and utter annihilation, you know, like full on you kill every last person in your enemy, which is 
going to morally rot you from the inside, yeah. right? Yeah. Because in order to do that, you have to see them as something completely different than you. Mm. You know, you have to almost take that Westworld perspective. Well, isn't like, that funny how we do the that? These are the hosts. These are these people. They're different than me. We can destroy them because of this thing. They deserve it. We have to dehumanize de uh, human, them, all, right? all groups that kill other groups dehumanize, don't they? Yep. They, they all do that. Because people want to think of themselves as good. Yeah. And in order to think of yourself as good and to do horrible things, you have to make them other than you. Yes. Because you can't do that to you and still think you're good. You hear a lot of Americans. I mean, I heard this American guy saying they, uh, he was a soldier and, and, and he was saying, I've seen, uh, I've seen these Arabs and how they treat their children. They, they kill their own children. They, you know, all this bullshit. And he was, uh, he was indoctrinated. He was an idiot. And uh, he saw some bad stuff. And so he, again, applied a whole blanket. You have to do that to your enemy. You have yeah. to. You have to. And it's not that some of that isn't justified. And it's not that if there is one particular terrorist coming in with a gun, someone shouldn't snipe his Fuck ass. Fuck yeah. You know, like there, it's not like if someone breaks into your house, you say, oh, I'm sorry, you must need. <laughs> I'll shoot that guy need, in the face. You must need to, to yeah. rape and take yeah. some of my yeah. stuff. No, you fucking shoot That's him. That's right. I like, own guns like, for like that I get reason. That. But ultimately, yeah. collectively, the default has to be love and support and a recognition of the consciousness of that other person like well that but that has to be like the base level and then take specific instances where you must take action and then take action. but what you just said is very important too so you just tag that with love of the other person right so it's very important because love can also galvanize armies so love of their way of life love of their culture love of their propaganda love of their mythology mm -hmm. love of the way they do things is what how you that that's how you that's how you create ideology in your young soldiers. That's how you get them to, you know, they're on the side of the good. And those, the, like, look, look at what the Japanese did to the Chinese in, in, in Manchuria. Well, the Chinese eat their own children. They eat their own children and they're subhuman. Guys, you got, go, go, go make the world a better place and make it more Japanese. And they did horrible things. Yeah. Because they were missing that last thing that you said, which was there is something called universal love. That's kind of what's interesting about monotheistic religions, because the idea is that if you all come from the same father, if there's one God, it means we all come from the same father. So that must mean that ultimately we are all of the same moral worth because we're all brothers and sisters. That's a very powerful idea. The problem with polytheistic mythologies, and I have respect for them to an extent because there's, there's value there, but... The t polytheistic mythologies tend to depend on not only various gods and how much they like you in the moment, but it also tends to create something like a caste system. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, you know, the caste system is still pretty much alive and well in India and places where, and, and, and for that matter, in Thailand and places, that's one of the things about Buddhism is that, you know, you can take on a higher or a lower birth. Yeah. Uh, and, and the Greeks, to an extent, had some of that as well. Um, but but I, I do think that there's something to be said about this universal approach. This you just got to have that one basic metaphysical truth that we're all the same living a different life. Mm. We're all the same living a different life. Build everything else upon that and you can go wild. Yeah. But that when you, when you default back to that, yeah. then you can't do shitty things to other people and you can't do shitty things to the planet that's going to affect other people too. Yeah. You know, like just have one. Like when you're talking about these metaphysical underpinnings, just start with that one. Like you get that one right mm -hmm. and the rest of it falls. You know, the rest of it falls in place. That prevents the caste system. That prevents the unnecessary violence. That def prevents the dehumanization. That prevents so many of these other things. And I think that's where the plants and where meditation and where these high accessing higher states of consciousness can go. Even 
MDMA, you know, like you literally I want more. If you <laughs> if you <laughs> sorry, have, that just popped out. If the Japanese if a, if a couple Japanese guys sat in a room with a couple Chinese guys back before the rape of Nanking and they all took a bunch of MDMA and just looked at each other for a little while, they'd be like, man, <laughs> man, I just like that. Let's you, get some fucking sushi. I like, just appreciate that, you know, the rape of Manchuria. I think it's also important to know about those things. Yeah. Some crazy shit that's gone on in our world. And hopefully now I'm I'm optimistic, man. I'm really optimistic. I was going to ask you, that was my next question. Yeah, I'm optimistic. I think this is, this is that kind of one of the main final pushes of resistance before, you know, we really start to open up. And I think it's going to get a little gnarlier. Mm -hmm. But I also see like the, you know, like when, when Gandalf came in riding in on his horse, just when the orcs looked like they were going to take out everything. Yeah. I really think those are the plants that are coming to our aid. That's, you know, marijuana, psilocybin, you know, mm -hmm. ayahuasca, all of these plants. Wachuma, these are all finding their legal venues now and becoming, you know, all the clinical studies and all the data that are coming out about the benefits. They're riding in like fucking Gandalf here as mm. well to help open up the consciousness, open up the hearts of individuals. Because I think the world right now has a consciousness problem. That's it. You know, people are locked into their own identity. They're locked into this belief of self that tries an ego that tries to put everyone else down to build themselves up, which is really nonsense you're you know, speaking like a priest you know <laughs> <laughs> which is appropriate yeah i mean it's appropriate because um i i i think it's except i'm using gandalf instead of jesus well, but listen, you know listen, regardless no i mean if you listen to jordan peterson i mean you know that that's that those mythologies resonate with the human soul and across the board so they must be true that is a different that is a form of truth you, right. you use gandalf but i listen very closely because i think it's just as relevant and just as true as anything uh, anything NASA could could measure with their instruments. Sure. Uh, I, I'm I'm sorry, but it's very relevant. And uh, but I think that um, I'm I'm very interested to do this podcast ten years from now because mm -hmm. I think that you are somebody again who has and can and does satisfy anything anything they want physically. It's just at your fingertips, and yet you are um, so you're eminently qualified to understand not only what all of that is to the nth degree, but also what the what shortcomings and longings and metaphysical longings it creates, what sure. deficits it doesn't fill. And it'd be very interesting to see where you're going to end up. My feeling is you're going to be um, a monk of some kind. I really, I, I really think you're going to be. I, I just think you're, I don't, I don't think you can avoid it. Sorry. Yeah. You're probably going to sell your entire company. Where's Aubrey? He's fucking in the lotus position again. Uh, I mean, well, okay, stay, I like to stand next to him. I, I, I create, I get heat. <laughs> I get heat. Let me touch him. I, I mean, you know, that it's interesting we'll that you are, I mean, I do, do crave, you feel that? I do crave a certain element of solace and like communion with just myself and nature. And I feel that, I feel that building, but I also love the fray. You know, and I think that that desire to put myself right in the midst of the shit, you know, I, that's as strong as ever. Yeah, so I know it this, is. It's this kind of balance of like yeah. monk sometimes and then, you know, riding right out in the middle of the, the heart of darkness. I think that that side. urge is what I'm saying is I know that I think that urge to ride into the heart of the darkness will um, start to lose its hold on you yeah more and more and i think Maybe. it probably already is i don't know well hey listen the night <laughs> ten, is still young fast forward let's 10 go, years let's go do now. some fucking you and me i'm just popping viagra at 60 yeah. i'm shredded i'm just fucking roided the, to the, the gills the thing is i'm so committed you know i really want to i want to be a force for positive change and and the thing is like p 
people don't want to, uh, people can't see themselves as a monk. So if I do take that route, it would be selfish, honestly. I understand. It would be a selfish path because at that point, you know, right now what makes people want to kind of tune in and listen is that I'm just like everybody fucking else. I really am. Like I like the same shit. I just push myself into different areas and come back with lessons. But the minute I put on the robes and go to the mountain, be like, oh, weirdo Aubrey over there. That's true. Talking about some shit. So, you know, we'll see, man. I mean, I do feel some of those callings, so I don't think you're wrong in that observation. But I hope that, you know, I stay committed to that, to that mission of just being of greatest service because that's what makes me happiest. I always have this need to simplify. Yeah. As I get older. Well, my friend, I appreciate you having me on this uh, podcast. It's always great to talk to you. Man, if you haven't seen Brian do any comedy, do yourself a favor. Go do that. Go watch his shows. Go fucking listen to Fighter and the Kid. I'm excited about I, this. I love Austin. I'll be at Cap City. So. Hell yeah. Are you going to come out? Because you have time? I'm going to try. All right. Yeah. You let me know. For sure. You're welcome to. You it's crushed it in Chicago when I saw you there. Yeah. Show. I got a whole new thing. It's, it's been going really well. Fuck yeah. I have to say. I don't know. Are they supposed to stand up when you're done? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you, man. Thank you, brother. Yeah. You're the best. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please go to iTunes and leave a review if you enjoyed the podcast and go to onnit.com slash Aubrey, O-N-N-I-T dot com slash Aubrey to get the latest tools for human optimization. Thank you. Much love.